Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the Dallas Cowboys. This is the Cowboys Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary, and Cowboys Wire editor, K.D. Drummond. So here we go. Dallas needs this without timeouts. Zerline will score. It's got to go 10 yards, and it's close. Zerline may have come through. Who's got it? The Cowboys have it. Do you believe that? Why did Atlanta pick it up? They let it go. They could have picked it up and ended the game, but Dallas has recovered, and they're not done yet. Greg Zerline from 46 to win it for Dallas. Hold is down, kick is up, and it is good! Somehow, some way, the Cowboys have won it! Yo, Yo, Katie, I still can't believe that crap, man. What a game. What an unbelievable game. It was an unreal experience to go through uh, the roller coaster of being that bad that early. I mean, everybody was talking about it. They had never seen the Cowboys look that bad in the first quarter. There's been several bad first yeah, quarters seriously. in Cowboys history over the years, but nobody had ever seen anything like that. They had uh, three lost fumbles. They they dropped the ball five times. One was the first one was called back. They overturned it on review. Uh, Elliott lost one that he recovered himself, but three lost fumbles in the first quarter, and they were down twenty nothing in the blink of an eye. And then to be able to scratch their way back was really a testament to everything that Mike McCarthy has instilled in this team. The team had fight before under Jason Garrett. Uh, it's witnessed by the number of comebacks that have been manufactured over the years by Tony Roma and Dak Prescott. Uh, but to see that for Mike McCarthy, really, it, when when he was under such turmoil, because everybody was talking about they made a mistake, they should fire this guy, don't let him get on the bus. They were at home, don't let him get on the bus. Oh my God, it was yeah, pretty crazy. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it, it was crazy how, how people were turning on Mike McCarthy so quickly, uh, but it was great to see them pull it out in the end. It was a miraculous finish. Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, you're down 20 nothing in the first quarter. You're going for you're going for fake punts. Like People are scratching their heads like, what is McCarthy doing? And then now it's like, all's good in the world. But first of all, first of all, happy birthday, my man. I just got to throw that out there. Happy oh, birthday I, to you. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Yeah, getting old. I'm a little gray in the beard, but you know, I've earned it, so I, I'm happy to have it. So. Yeah, yeah. And, and for your birthday, the Atlanta Falcons gave you a great gift. So I see this on Ooh. social media. They had 39 points with zero turnovers. Entering this week now, teams are 440-0 and 0 when scoring 39 points with yep. no turnovers. So that is, they're the first team since 1933 to lose in that situation. And you, you can't help but think back to 28-3 to 3 that Super Bowl with the Patriots. My goodness, only the Atlanta Falcons could that happen to. Yeah, pretty much. It's uh you you already mentioned the 28 to 3 comeback by the Patriots in the Super Bowl. What it turns out to be when you're dealing with uh win probability, the Cowboys were actually a bigger long shot with a little bit over 5 minutes to go in the game than the Patriots were at any point in that comeback. So this was actually a bigger comeback than the Patriots did on the biggest stage. The Cowboys had a uh, or I should say the Falcons had a 99.9% chance of winning this game. There's no way that they were supposed to score two touchdowns, get an onside kick, and score a field goal in order no. to win this game. But stranger things have happened. Wait, no, they haven't. Stranger <laughs> no. things have never happened. <laughs> yeah, and your your guys, Zerline. Your guys, Zerline, man. That onside kick Ooh. was something. I mean, okay, first of all, 
I can't believe the Falcons didn't jump on the freaking ball. They don't have to wait for it to go 10 yards. You know, that was ridiculous. And I know there's a lot of turmoil going on in Atlanta about the coaching and not teaching your players that you can you can get the ball. You can get the ball. Get it. Get it. Yep. Jump on it. But, man, your guy's airline. That was quite the onside kick. And then he just bangs that one through the uprights. And Cowboys got a little kicker. Yeah, it, it was funny because, you know, I, I, I bagged on him because I wasn't you a fan a of bit. how you they, <laughs> you know, he, he missed he missed a kick. I wasn't a fan of how the rest of the kicks that he made looked. And it wasn't so much about him. It was the fact that the Cowboys cut a kicker that was supposed to be in competition with him before ever letting the competition happen. So we didn't know if he was the best kicker for the job. But he proved, man, he had, you know, the old uh, Sam Cassell when he used to dance around and hold the big <laughs> elephant balls. <laughs> that, yeah. that, that was Greg Zerline on, on his kick. Absolutely. So he, he, you know, he had the onside kick again Atlanta with their coaching staff that's a big issue uh, uh, we talked about it last week their coaching staff was actually surprised that Russell Wilson and Jamal Adams were as good as they were when they played Seattle in week one that was clue number one that the coaching staff in Atlanta has no idea what they're doing seriously clue number two was not having their onside kick team prepared for the fact that as soon as that ball is within your reach you go get it there were guys backing up away from the ball like it was a grenade it was like they were, you were playing Call of Duty and they were trying to get off of the screen get out of the get out of the warehouse before everything exploded they were scared of the ball greg zerline has to have some voodoo magic in his foot the ball was repelling them like you know a deterrent like deer deterrent or whatever you want to call it it was an amazing spectacle you can only say that the football gods were smiling down on the cowboys that game yeah that thing was just spinning like a top it was uh it was brilliant the way he did that without a t and and i'm sure you probably broke that down on the cowboys wire the skill he used to to knock that ball and, and have it spin like that and for it to even travel 10 yards like that was pretty remarkable can you imagine the practices? Because kickers are left to themselves. You know, everybody's doing all the team drills and all the work and everything. Kickers are pretty much left to themselves. They might have somebody snapping the ball to them, but most of the time they're, you know, it's just somebody setting up on the tee. They're doing their kicking drills and all that. So he has nothing but time every day in practice while all the quote unquote real football players are doing what they do. But this man has been off to the side in the lab working on various ways to do onside kicks and to pull that out on the very first try. I was talking, uh, you know, with my co-host on another on my other podcast, and I was saying that the special teams gas that they had with the fake punts and all of that. Mm. In my head, I was like, it's going to take at least three or four big special teams moments in order to make up for the damage that they've done to their reputation. Mm. But I was wrong. It only took one. That onside kick was the best thing that I've ever seen in my life and got to give all credit to Greg Zerline for being able to think of how to do that. I don't know if he has a specific kicking coach that helped him work through that, but you can just imagine that guy was sitting there trying that out over and over again until he had it perfected and they pulled it out in the right time. If you watch him kick it, he just looks so smooth and cool. He just kind of like, you know, just a little flick of the foot, man. It was, it was wild. So much more to get into. Dak Prescott was unbelievable in this game. I want to talk about Dak, but first fantasy football advice from the huddle.com. We'll be right back. Fantasy football is about proving that you are better than your friends. Sit them, start them. These are the fantasy picks of the week. It will kill me if this game ends at a tie. I need this win. This game's pretty much done. With Corey Bonini from TheHuddle.com. Corey Benini with TheHuddle.com here to talk to you about strong plays for Week 3. Chicago Bears quarterback Mitchell Trubisky against the Atlanta Falcons. The matchup is brilliant, and Atlanta's offense could put Chicago in a pass-happy situation. Trubisky may make mistakes like we saw last week with two interceptions, but he should be able to take advantage on the outside with his strong wide receivers. Deion Lewis takes over for Saquon Barkley at least for this week. Devontae Freeman looks like he'll be the guy going forward, but he's coming off the street and doesn't know the playbook. San Francisco is so beaten up on both sides of the ball right now that the Giants 
Ryan should be able to stay in the game late enough to continue running the football. If not, Lewis is a capable receiver out of the backfield as well. Jaguars wide receiver Keelan Cole has the eye of quarterback Gardner Minshew, and he has a fine matchup against the banged-up Miami secondary. And furthermore, DJ Chark is banged up himself, which could mean more work for Cole if the injury is aggravated during the contest. Look for him to make it three games in a row with a touchdown to open the 2020 season. And finally, Cincinnati tight end Drew Sample. He's a second-year player who will fill in for CJ Uzama, who was lost for the year after torn Achilles tendon last week. Sample saw nine targets last week, catching seven of them, but for only 45 yards. That's a product of having a rookie quarterback who's not willing to take as many chances downfield. Last week, Tyler Higby scored three touchdowns, and Logan Thomas had one in week one on only nine total catches against the Eagles in 2020 by tight ends. For more fantasy football information, check out thehuddle.com. Yeah, I mean, we, we showed our resiliency today. Uh, and, I mean, first, I uh, want to thank just uh, those 21,000-plus fans that showed up today. Um, as you said, I, I don't know if I've been in many games like this. The only thing I can think of is the playoff game my rookie year. Um, but to be able to get the win um, and filling those those fans that were there, that stayed the whole game, that didn't give up on us, uh, that was a huge difference. I think the team fed off of that. I know they did late in, uh, late in that two-minute drive uh, after that onside kick. Uh, it was simply just incredible, incredible game to be a part of. But I think the team, more than anything, just showed their, their faith and resiliency in each other uh, and just staying at it. Yeah, KD, Dak to the rescue here. First player in NFL history with 400 passing yards and three rushing TDs in a game. He was unbelievable. He, some unbelievable throws there late in that game and literally just took the Cowboys on his back there in the second half to, to make that comeback happen. Yeah, he, I, I called him RoboCop because yeah, yeah. he was just out there slicing and dicing. He was doing everything imaginable to make sure that he was going to protect the city that he was assigned to protect. Right. And uh, what he did for the Dallas Cowboys uh, in that game after the first one mistake, he had one mistake when he uh, fumbled the ball early in the first quarter when he was trying to pitch him when he was getting sacked. That was a dumb, dumb play. Mm-hmm. But after that point on, he was surgical out there. He was just simply carving up the Atlanta Falcons defense. And we talked about it. The Atlanta Falcons defense isn't very good. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people will try to take credit away from him. But still, people play bad defenses all the time and they don't have performances like that. A lot of people try to say it was garbage time stats. Well, it wasn't garbage time because obviously being able to put up those numbers meant that they were able to come back and win. So yeah, it was an incredible performance. Love everything about what Dak Prescott showed, not just in that game, in the game against uh, the Los Angeles Rams in week one. He's off to a torrid start once again. Last year, he was setting records in the first three games. He's off to the same kind of uh, beginning of the season this year. You got to give props to this dude. He is everything that the Cowboys need in a quarterback and uh, fans should just be very thankful that he he's the guy under center for the team. We mentioned Mike McCarthy earlier and I know he wants to be aggressive and he's bringing that element to the Cowboys. And the Cowboys desperately needed that aggressive piece, right? They needed that from the coaching staff. They clearly have it with McCarthy. My question, Katie, is there's a fine line between being aggressive and being stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like going, for, going for fake punts in your own end is, uh, is, a tough, is a tough thing to come back from. The Cowboys were able to come back from two of those. What's your take on McCarthy? Is he being too aggressive? Is he being aggressive in the right ways? You know, I loved him going for two, and it made a lot of sense for them going for two when they were down by nine points late but the uh, the fake punts some of those I'm like man what are we doing when I think as you were tweeting or, or writing 
You got Dak Prescott. Just go for it if you want to go for it. You know what I mean? Like, what are we doing? Yeah, I, I have an article up on Cowboys Wire. Uh, by the time that this podcast goes live, it'll be a couple days old, but people can still look back for it. Uh, dissecting the coaching decisions by both Mike McCarthy and Dan Quinn, the four main coaching decisions. So, one, you have the fake punt in the first quarter. Dallas had no momentum. They were just basically spinning in mud, right. and they had to do something. So I have no problem with that first fake punt when they were down 14 nothing, 557 left. Mm-hmm. The problem on that one was execution. Chris Jones threw an absolute duck to C.J. Goodwin down to his shins, and that's the reason why they couldn't convert because the way Goodwin had fooled his man that he was going to go down and cover as a gunner, he had probably 40 yards on that play. He, he could have gone, marched down to the other side of the field. He was so wide open if Chris Jones had delivered a great pass. So that decision was great. Fake punt number two, I have a problem with. I don't have a problem with them going for it, but the problem was the position in the game. They had just scored. Atlanta had just taken a 12-point lead back. There was basically 13 minutes left to go in the fourth quarter, and they decided to go for a fake punt. They ran the ball with a safety with six men blocking seven. What in the world are you thinking on that play? If you're going to go for it, just go out there with your regular offense. You have Dak Prescott, C.D. Lamb, Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard. You have all of these options. And even Dalton Schultz with balling in the game. You have all of these options, and you think your best bet is to try to fool them with a second fake punt when they know that you're in a position and a part of the field where a fake punt is very possible for a team that just proved that they were willing to do a fake punt. It made no sense to do that play. Mm -hmm. Going for it on fourth down, Yes. Doing what they did in order to try to acquire the first down? No. Can't go for that. So what was the other one? Dan Quinn, he went for two early in the game when they were up 26 to 7. They were chasing points. And I don't understand the idea of chasing points. You only go for two points when you have to have it. And the Cowboys were in a position later on in the game where they had to have it. So Dan Quinn's decision to go for two points early in the game, that burned them with the way that the score ended up playing out because they could have used those two points and they would have actually been in overtime with a late Cowboys kick, but that was his mistake, and I'll let Atlanta Falcons fans and Falcons Wire worry about that one. The last decision by the uh, by the Cowboys, by Mike McCarthy, was going for two when they needed two scores, when they needed basically 15 points in order to get back in the game. The logic behind it, the math, the analytics behind it say, yes, you go for the two-point conversion early because if you miss... If you're going to miss a two-point conversion in either the first touchdown or the mythical second touchdown, it's better to miss it early so that you have enough time to then alter your game plan to know that you need two scores. Mm-hmm. If you go for seven points first and then you go for eight, then you go for the two-point conversion the second time, you have a much less amount of time left on the clock to adjust your game plan with an onside kick, with the way that you proceeded on that drive and all of those sorts of things. When you miss it on the first time, you know that, okay, I need two scores. So I can't run the clock out on this second drive. If they had gone for the two-point conversion or seven points and then waited for the second touchdown, the mythical second touchdown, they would have most likely tried to milk the clock to run out as much as possible so that the two-point conversion would have ended the game. Then they go into overtime. Mm -hmm. You can't do that. If you miss then the game's basically over and you don't have much time to do much of anything. So the analytics say, give yourself as much time as possible on the clock in case you don't get the two-point conversion so that you can then react to that and still continue. And that's pretty much what worked out for the Cowboys. And as you wrote, KD, the Cowboys avoided an 0-2 dumpster fire. And and that's because they got to play Seattle next. And to go to play Seattle on the road at 0-2 would have been just a disaster. So they find a way to get to 1-1 going into this game. I want to break that one down here coming up. We'll be right back. It's that time again for the line of the week. The inside track to the favorites, the underdogs, and the over-unders. I think I want my money back. Now, here are Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren from USA Today's Sportsbook Wire. 
Hello, I'm Esther McLaren of SportsbookWire.com and Bet Slipping Podcast, and I'm joined by my colleague Jeff Clark. Here's what you need to know to bet the Week Three Monday Night Football matchup in the NFL's game of the year between the Kansas City Chiefs and Baltimore Ravens. The Chiefs are plus one fifty-five underdogs on the money line. Jeff, that's right. The Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs plus one fifty-five underdogs. The Baltimore Ravens are laying three and a half points at home. I'm going to go against the grain, against the public here. Give me the Ravens minus three and a half to win by at least four points. Oh man, I want to push back and just take the Chiefs at the money line. You said plus one fifty-five. That's enticing. But if you're going to give me the three points, I'll take it. Has Patrick Mahomes? ever gotten three and a half points i'm pretty sure not Eston. uh the defending super bowl champions there's gonna be no fans there at the m&t bake stadium in baltimore and they have one of the better home crowd advantages which is going to be neutered because of the unfortunate situation right now i'll take the dog uh, super bowl champion chiefs at plus three and a half I'm on Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Check out Sportsbook Wire for more with all odds from BetMGM Sportsbook. Subscribe to Bet Slippin' Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. All right, Katie, what do you think about this? Russell Wilson, he's balling out better than any quarterback out there right now. hes I don't think he's thrown an incomplete pass. I just said that on one of the other podcasts. He hasn't <laughs> thrown an incomplete pass yet. I don't think I've seen him. Uh, he was His deep balls against the Patriots on Sunday night were out Amazing. of control. Just out of control. Defenders draped all over the receivers. He's putting it in there. This guy's on another level. This is a tough spot for the Cowboys. They're going to have to get things right. They're going to have to play four quarters of football. Yeah, Wilson has thrown 11 incompletions in oh, two okay. games. Sorry, I thought it was what, is, okay. what is that? What is that? <laughs> what are you supposed to do against that? I have no idea. He's, he's balling out of control. He's a perennial MVP candidate, and he has to be the leading contender after two weeks. Obviously, it's only two weeks. Uh, and, and hopefully the Cowboys will have some sort of game plan to combat what he's been able to do so far. Uh, but, yeah, you mentioned it, his deep ball. And it's it's so much different than most quarterbacks' deep ball because of the amount of height that he gets on it. It yeah. looks like it's dropping from the sky, like God just opened up the, the roof to the heavens <laughs> and dropped a football in the receiver's hand. The way it comes almost down on an almost vertical trajectory, it's, it's tremendous what he does. So, yeah, the Cowboys have a tough time with what Seattle has put up. The bright side is that Seattle's defense isn't very good. It's going to be probably another shootout where I don't think that the Cowboys can do much to contain what Seattle has. DK Metcalf is an entire animal. Tyler Lockett is an entire animal. We really only have one good cornerback, and that's Trevon Diggs. He's a rookie, so he's susceptible to the occasional brain fart as he learns a professional game. I really have no idea how the Cowboys are going to stop Seattle, especially because they don't have a pass rush. And even when you have a pass rush, Russell Wilson can escape. So it's, it's going to be very hard to stop the Seattle offense. I, I said it a little bit earlier. I, I put this basically as... Uh, NFL team in the NCAA collegiate basketball tournament, it's survive in advance. Mm. That's how the Cowboys have to look in September. They have to just survive in advance. I do not know how they come out of Seattle with a victory. If they do, great. If they don't, you have Cleveland next week so you can escape September at 2-2 two and two, or the first month of the season, I should say. That'll be an October game. But overall, it's just going to be a very tough thing to go into Seattle and win that game. I don't put it past them. Maybe this victory, the comeback, the way that they fortified themselves and gave themselves confidence will be the turn point the stepping stone that they need to propel into the rest of the season but uh, that's just going to be a very very tough nut to crack it is and, and this is why hearing your analysis there this is why the over under has ballooned up to 55 and a half last i checked i mean this is makes they're, sense there i mean we saw cam newton carve up seattle like you said that defense isn't what it used to be so if seattle's going to put up points dallas is going to have to score points too i mean maybe we see maybe we see another 
game in the 30s like Sunday. You know, maybe we see something like that. Another 40-burger, baby. Let's see 40-39 again. Let's see Zerline lining up for another <laughs> kick, right? Oh, man, it's going to be so much fun. So, all right, man, what, what do you got going on tonight? You got, like, you got cake? What, like, what do you, what's going on? Uh, well, I don't have any special celebration going on except for the fact that I'm just kind of off because I'm, I'm one of those guys that I just work, work, work incessantly. Uh, so the family has a little bit of celebration. We're going to eat, you know, a, a good meal together, uh, some nice barbecue feast uh, that we actually just planned out. So not cooking is going to be a great thing. It's going right. to be, you know, barbecue grill that I don't have to prepare because I'm, I'm the grill master around here. Uh, so none of that. So, yeah, there will be a little bit of celebration. Uh, might open a little bit of McAllen, uh, get that going a little Beautiful. bit later. But overall, just keeping it pretty quiet, man. It's, uh, it's a pandemic. Can't do too much. Yeah, I love it. Well, happy birthday again and uh, enjoy it. And I'll talk to you next week about Cowboys Seahawks. Looking forward to that. All right, my man. Talk to you later. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.